You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. If y'all are anything like me, you may be asked this beautiful question, what is God's will for my life? It's a good question. It's a beautiful question. And yet I think our tendency sometimes is we parameter and frame this question with direction and circumstance in mind, future career, spouse or singleness. Where is the location of my future home and the community that I'm going to invest in? And yet Romans 12, it roots us, it culminates these two verses at the beginning of Romans 12 in this idea of God's will, proving what is God's will. And yet it pivots strongly from the traditional framework of circumstance and direction. And the word prove is an active verb. We are the ones to prove. But as an active verb, the Greek structure of this passage actually frames this active verb that we are the subjects of as almost a dependent reaction to an independent active verb, which is the prior active verb where we're the subjects, which is the word present. As we independently present ourselves, then dependently we are actually walking in the way of proving God's will. The word dekomazo. It's Greek, it's to examine, to test, to learn, to prove, to discover God's will. It's dependent on presenting our lives on the altar. Different translations render it different ways, but you see these sort of subtle transitional framing kind of phrases in the red ink on the screen. And I love the way the Jerusalem Bible puts it, that this is the only way to discover God's will. This referring back to our call to present and God's promise to unconform us into a transformation for his glory and his glory alone. This is the way. This is the way to discover. Mandalorian fans out there, come on, give me some love. All right, there we go. This is the way, but Romans 12, contrary to popular Star Wars belief, it's not about Beskar armor and a helmet. This is the way to prove God's will. Our living and presenting our entire lives daily, desperately dependent on God. This is the way, and his promise is, as we present, is to unconform and transform us. And what's the end game of this whole thing? What is is God doing as he frames in Romans 12 this question of God's will, not in terms of direction and circumstance, but formation and transformation? What is Romans 12 doing here? We need to sit in that question because in our day, it's easier to often offload, God, would you give me the direction? God, would you change my circumstances? God, you're so sovereign that it sort of sneakily allows me to be so passive, and I believe God is sovereign, but the reality of Romans 12 is it invites us not into this offloading of the uncomfortable responsibility where we gotta surrender and give up control but we're called and invited by the most merciful invitation of our great God in this phenomenal adventure. And in so many ways, we can't change our circumstances often. And God seems in scripture less concerned with our circumstances and much more about what's going on inside of us than around us. 
And in so many ways, it's clear in Romans 12 that we are not expected by God to transform and unconform and change ourselves. We're not powerful enough to do this, and God doesn't expect this of us. This is his promise to us. But what we can do is present ourselves. And again, this is his merciful invitation, the greatest adventure, and this proves God's will. I love the way Dr. Mulholland puts it. What's the end game of this transformation? What's the end game of presenting ourselves to enjoy God and glorify him forever, to be conformed, to be acted upon and transformed so that we will shine like Christ for the world's sake and for God's glory. Our culture, though, is obsessed Obsessed with destinations, God enjoys the journey. Living life on the altar, it's a journey, but it's not a lazy and irresponsible one to be on the altar, but it is to uproot our sense of responsibility from the rocky soil of self-centered control and to be replanted by God in a stewardly responsibility in the good soil of surrender. God wants us to be fully whole and integrated in the place of being fully present and fully prepared, whole in this place, right on the altar. You see, the altar is a place of invitation. It's a place of purging and formation. It's a place grounded in the promise of transformation. It's a place where God's will is certain in our life, and it's a place where we are in complete trust, which just so happens to be our highest form of worship. It's a place where you can treat yourself so that you can constantly check yourself to present yourself to the one who will literally conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. This is the promise, this is the way, this is what it means to discover God's will for you and for me. The question is, is are we gonna follow Christ like the night before he was betrayed and to cry out to God on the altar, not my will, but your will be done? That is an audacious thing. That is the call. That is the way. And so when we ask, God, what is your will for my life? We need to get beyond these common questions that we start with. Where, uh, what does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? And these aren't necessarily bad questions, but they're not great questions to start to get at this notion of God's will. I think better questions for us to ask is, do I really trust God? Do I really want God's will wherever that may be? Will I yield myself fully and complete me, completely to what God wants to do within me and around me? Maybe a few more questions that I think are good ones. Do I wanna be the person God wants me to be? Do I wanna be in the place where God can best conform me for his glory? Do I want God's glory and the good of neighbor and nation more than my own version of success, my own version of purpose and my own will? You see, that first set of questions is all about direction and circumstance. Those second set of questions, those are about formation and transformation. This is what Romans 12 is getting at, proving God's will. And we, I think, oftentimes, we deceive ourselves because we convince ourselves we actually want God's will, but as long as it suits me. We ask for God's leading at the same time, telling them what we think is best and we'll never receive God's direction in that place. We set up guardrails, pre-established rails that send us down a pre-established course in life that's really about the pavement of my own safety, comfort, pleasure, a lush bank account, and being esteemed by the world. Have you seen the movie Inside Out? 
It's a good one. My family loves it. Inside Out, though, depicts this reactive cycle of living life, circumstance, emotional response, circumstance, emotional response, as if we're just sort of driven by our emotions alone. This autopilot reactive cycle of living is what scripture calls being enslaved to sin, enslaved to the patterns of this world, but take heart because God wants to unconform you from this. And what is the active, what is the activity of presenting ourselves before the Lord? It's prayer. Prayer. And what is prayer? It's bowing ourselves down and submitting ourselves to a king of glory beyond what our minds can even conceive. What's your prayer life like? Philippians 4, Paul's talking about prayer. He says, be not anxious. This isn't a request. This is a command. We are called to focus more on the master of all circumstances so that we are not mastered mastered by all of our circumstances. God wants to give us his attitude. This verse goes on and everything through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We often talk in terms of prayer. Hey, how's your prayer life? Hey, I've been praying for you. Hey, what can I be praying for, right? But how many times have you had somebody come up to you and be like, dude, you've been walking in supplication, huh? Huh? Right? We don't, we don't use this word supplication. So next time somebody comes up and asks you that question, okay, shun them like Dwight Troop. No, don't do that. Don't shun them. Actually embrace them, right? Embrace them if they ask you if you're walking in supplication because this, in my opinion, is something we've lost touch with. Paul's intentional with this word. This word is from a derivative word called suppliant. Suppliant was a common word during the time of this letter to the Philippian, or the church of Philippi in the Roman Empire. Suppliant was a people group who were defeated in battle and under the complete control of their victors. Suppliant was a group of people who bowed down before their victors, helpless and out of control and pertains to their future. Supplication is a state of humility, complete surrender, an attitude of total submission. These are, this is the place where to let our requests be made known to God as suppliants. Think of it this way. If prayer is the action of presenting our life and ourself on the altar, then supplication is the submissive attitude we're called to pray with. Raiders, I dare you to pray like this. My master, king, Lord, Christ almighty, I totally give you and present to you all of myself. I trust you to lead and I'm willing to accept whatever the outcome and whatever change you want to bring about inside of me. I dare you. And oftentimes we think about this and if we're really honest with ourselves, that's a scary place to be and it leaves us reluctant. But Paul, he doesn't just stop there. He says, we are called to pray with thanksgiving not reluctance. Surrender is an invitation for gratitude. And we're only grateful when three things are true of our beliefs and our lived reality. If we believe that God is good, always. If we believe God is loving, always. And if we believe God is faithful and in control, always. When we actually believe these things, our lives can't help but be full of gratitude. And it's this gratitude and attitude of supplication that send us forth into the powerful prayer life where we get to walk into a peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. It'll guard your heart and mind. 
Are you willing out of this gratitude to bow yourself and submit your life in total? Are you willing to gratefully get up on that altar? Because it's freedom and fullness. And in it, you get to be not just encountering an emotion of peace. Peace isn't an emotion, biblically. Not just to even encounter just a fruit of the spirit of peace. It's not just a fruit of the spirit. We're talking about meeting the prince of peace himself. Peace is a person. And when we encounter this person, we get to encounter a surpassing, uncomprehensible peace because this person is not bound by any space and by any time. He's not unbound by any of our circumstances. He sits and reigns and rules as the alpha and the omega. And there is no delta sickness and there is no Omicron disease and there is no name in heaven and on earth that is like the name of this name, the name of the one who is always was and who always will be. This person wants to meet you in the gratitude of the altar and unconform and transform you from the inside out so that you would glorify him, look like Jesus, and pursue the good of neighbor and nation. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is good news to be guarded by this person of peace, guarded with the presence of an attitude that flows from this one. He never promises us in this step of faith that we're called to take day in and day out on the altar. He never promises us complete understanding, but he always promises us his presence and his peace. And he mercifully invites and he powerfully enables and unconforms and transforms us to live our life in the fullness of the altar. And why Paul and why me, why I'm so jazzed this morning is because Paul in Romans 12 says, I urge you, I implore you, I beg you to do this. This is your fullest life right now. And he does this in Romans 12 because of what he just said in Romans 11. Check it out. All oh, the depths and riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable is judgments, how inscrutable his ways, for who has known the mind of God, who can counsel him, who has given him a gift that he is to be repaid, for from him, through him, and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, do you believe it? Will it? Let it be so? Do you mean your amen? 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 Do you mean it? Let it be so? Amen? Let it be so. This is the God that invites us into powerful transforming encounter. You can prove the will of God by presenting yourself, living on the altar. All right, you're like, Mark, okay, calm down, buddy. All right, so three things, three things, okay? And I'll let you go. Three things to say about what this looks like to confidently prove God's will, living life on the altar. Three quick things. One, Raiders, I do not enjoy disciplining my oldest son, William, but I'm going to be really transparent. He had a hard heart, and I had to have a firm, fatherly moment of discipline with my son, Will. And I'm telling you, I don't love it, but I discipline him because I love him. I discipline him as not a way that's opposite of love. As a matter of fact, discipline is an expression of love. You see, apathy is the opposite of love, but I love my son so much. I love him too much to not discipline him when I see him caught up in a pattern that is not for his good and also not for good for his sister. <laughs> Raiders, we have a heavenly father 
We have a heavenly father. His love is uncontainable and uncomprehensible. And when you try to tight grip and control your life in an unsurrendered place, you are the one lost sheep. And he's going to leave the 99 for you. He's going to leave them for you. He's coming after you because God says, God says in his scriptures that he is a pursuer. He's a good shepherd. He will never abandon you. He's going to come after you as a one lost sheep in your control freak, tight grip way of living life, not on the altar. And he is even willing to bring discipline out of love, to bring even a season of frustration of your circumstances that you want. And maybe just maybe gently in a shepherdly way, gently shatter some of your own will and some of your own plans because he knows what's best for you, how unsearchable are his ways. He wants to invite you into the fullness of the altar. He's willing to discipline you in his love. Philippians 1.6 says that he, when he begins a good work, he is so faithful to complete it. He's faithful to you. He loves to pursue you. Number two, God's will sort of has like two dimensions to it. There's a general will of God and a specific will of God. General will is for all of us who confess Christ to do these things. This is God's general will, but God's specific will is unique ways that he's speaking to us individually, okay? God's general will, he wants all of us. This is so essential. We gotta be people of the word. We gotta accurately handle his truth. God's word. We need to hide God's word in our heart. We need to abide his words in us, and we need to abide our life in him, the person of Jesus. We need to be people of the word. If you want to be confident that you're in God's will, proving God's will, you will never walk in confidence. You will always walk in insecurity if you don't know the scriptures. You gotta be studied workmen and workwomen who needeth not to be ashamed, correctly understanding this word of truth. We've got to be people of the word generally, but specifically, God called Noah to build an ark. He's probably not going to call you to build an ark. God called Abraham to offer Isaac on the altar. I sure hope he doesn't ask me to do that with any of my kids. God called a rich young ruler to sell everything, including his own homes. God doesn't necessarily call everyone to follow him to sell all of their possessions. He does call us to be generous. James and John had to leave their jobs and their trade. God might not necessarily call you to leave your job and trade, but maybe. You see, in our circumstances specific to our own unique lives, we need to pay attention with grateful hearts because he loves us, because he's good, and because he's faithful. We can be grateful. We need to pay attention to the way God maneuvers and opens and closes doors, the way he interrupts our days. We see this in Jesus. Jesus was going to resurrect a 12-year-old girl from the dead, and on his way, he was interrupted by a bleeding woman, and he heals her and hears her whole story. Jesus, it says in the scriptures that he was going to walk on water across the sea, but he stopped to minister to his frightened disciples who were freaking out. We see this in the book of Acts with Paul and Timothy, that they were actually kept by the Holy Spirit. They were forbidden to go to Bithynia in order to go to Tross, right? I remember this in my own life. God, in a season where I was presenting to him, he called me to be a part of a startup ministry in Sioux Falls, and I was excited to respond to his call in my life when I was in that season of presenting. But three years later, he called me to take a pastoral job in Sioux Center, Iowa. And if I'm really honest with you, though I love my friends in Sioux Center, I was dragging my heels the whole way. I was not excited. But when we get on the altar, sometimes it's an excitable place and sometimes it's a hard place, but it's a surrendered place where we are called to submit our will to God. 
And Raiders, you can hold me accountable. I am not good at this. We need to get into this language pattern again. Biblically, we need to hold our tomorrow and our futures more loosely. We need to start using this phrase, if God wills. If God wills. We gotta do this, okay? There's two caveats to that, though. Number one, don't be emailing your professor and saying, if God wills, I'll show up to class tomorrow on that test, okay? Number two, your mom on her birthday, don't say, hey, mom, we'll try to reach out to you on your birthday if God wills, okay? But besides your professor and your mom, it's all fair game, okay? All right. But God's general will to know his word, God's specific circumstantial leading in our specific unique lives, we need to recognize that our specific calls always surrender to God's word. We never walk forward in life in a way that's in conflict with his word. That's why we need to know his word so much. Number three, and lastly, hang with me here. Psalm 37, one of the most beautiful passages of scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. The Hebrew word for delight is anag. This word literally means to be pliable or moldable. Raiders, as you present yourself on the altar, as you, in the place of prayer, make your request known to God, as you delight yourself, remaining pliable and moldable for this amazing creator who has authored your days and who invites you into a transformed purpose, shining as bright as Jesus Christ for the glory of his name and the good of the world. He is a gift giver more than a dad longing and excited to invite his kids to Disney World and give them that gift. Disney World's got nothing on the gift that God delights in and eagerly wants to display in us, which is the unconforming transformation that leads to the glory of his name and the good of the world. And so Raiders, be rebels with a cause, the cause of rebelling against your will so that you can be unconformed and transformed, metamorphoso into the glory, metamorphoso metamorphal so that you would be like Jesus for the good of the world, neighbor and nation. Just a quick thing. I've noticed here at Northwestern, and this happens in my heart too, that sometimes we can talk about God's will in two ways. The over there and the up ahead things. Over there. As long as I was over there, as long as I was like that person over there doing what they're doing, then I would suddenly be in God's will. Or up ahead, on the other side of that diploma, uh, if I only knew more, if only I was mature enough, if only I had enough resource, if only I was equipped enough, we can get into the cycle of constantly looking up ahead or over there. But Raiders, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of getting on the altar again. Today is the day to know the will of God because he wants to form and transform you from the inside out. And I want to close with this quick story. As we think about a better question than what is God's will for my life, a better, more specific question is, am I presenting myself on the altar? Here's a story. So there's a man named Nicodemus. He pursued Jesus in the middle of the night. And they had this beautiful interaction. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again, born from above, to enter and see the kingdom of God. And one commentator I was reading, more literal to the Greek, you could actually say we need to be energized from above. 
Raiders, think of the energizing reality of living life from above, this energizing reality. If we're like a lamp, Jesus is like an outlet. When a lamp plugs into that outlet, that's the gospel. By grace, through faith, we are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit, plugged in. But like a lamp with an on-off switch, so many of our lives, we live with the access to this power, but our switch is in the off position. We need to flip that light switch on. Because the power of God unto salvation is offered to us. And Paul says he wants to unconform and transform us. Are you presenting yourself on the altar of God? And I'll close with this, and then I'd like to sing. I want to remind us, the end game of this whole thing is we are being acted upon to look like Jesus for the sake of the world. This is the most beautiful and holy call. This is God's will. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Amen? Amen.